Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there, helps with visibility. Share this with your friends, wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you can find premium podcast content, you'll find our lovely Voices. Also, our podcast host, Podiat, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off your first three months of an already affordable premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code LONGHORN at P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O to get 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by my good friend, a man who is so excited that things are brewing at Texas, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, I'm uh, I'm doing wonderfully. My Horace scope is looking fantastic. I'm here for all the brouhaha, um, hashtag Brooksit, uh, everything. Everything's coming up. Life right now is more rich than the Texas Athletic Department. Things are good, Gerald. How are you? I am fantastic. I finally feel like I'm over this head cold that we were talking about for the last several weeks. And uh, the Texas 2019 recruiting class just keeps getting better. So we'll talk the Brew McCoy craziness this week. We'll talk the Texas basketball ugliness. We'll talk the women's basketball team continuing to try to dominate Big 12 play. And then we'll obviously close the show out this week with some bang the drum. Let's let's just jump into the big thing right now off the top. Kyle, Brew McCoy, after all of the hand-wringing and the frustration of him committing to USC, and then this week, rumors started swirling that his name was in the transfer portal. He hadn't even taken a class yet at USC. Already his name was in the portal. And by the end of the week, by Sunday evening, Brew McCoy was on the University of Texas campus and enrolled in classes, meaning that Texas now has the Max Prep Player of the Year and the Gatorade Player of the Year as part of their 2019 recruiting group. You were probably more of a Brew McCoy stand than I was, Kyle. So what is this what does this do for the Texas football team as it looks to continue to build for uh, for twenty nineteen and the and beyond? Yeah, um I'm not one to necessarily toot my own horn, uh, but honk honk beep beep toot toot. I am uh I am happy to have Potterdamus the the McCoy to Texas pick. Um it was a long shot. I remember kind of about this time last year actually hearing the rumors that there may be a 10-15% chance that that Texas could get in there. Um again, immediately drawn to his unique skill set and his wonderful surname. Um I I kind of got very invested very quickly um in in this in this player. Um we were talking about it before the show. I mean, it's. I went back and watched his his you know senior highlight tape again uh, during this whole process, and like I knew he was good. There was a point when he went to USC where I kind of tried to talk myself out of how good he was. Um, he is phenomenal. Like he has a potential to be legitimately like a a again don't want to pronounce you know 
go ahead and project him 10 years in the future, but he has the potential um, just with his natural build, his skill set to be a, you know, Sunday's pro bowl caliber receiver. Obviously he needs to do a couple of things here on the 40 acres uh, before he gets there. But I mean, you're basically just adding to our most um, rich and, and deep position on campus, which is a good problem to have. You can never have in the modern football game, too many threats uh, out wide. I mean, honestly, you, you, you look at, like in Art Bryles team and those old Baylor teams, and you can just run four verts to get a good enough quarterback and just beat people doing that. Texas has that type of receiving talent, if not more, I would say more um, on the roster right now. Um, in in this class, I think is a game changer type. Um, one thing that's going to be interesting to note is I think this might add a little more fuel to the Whittington taking snaps at running back fire, but I think that's okay. Obviously we'll, we're still in the process. We will still find out if Rue McCoy is going to be eligible to play this year. Um, I think he's currently petitioning the NCAA for for an uh, exception because he basically committed to USC when the now current coach of the Arizona Cardinals was the offensive coordinator at USC. So there's still some things to play out. There's some trickle down. We're going to kind of take some time to figure out exactly what this means. But, you know, just for the immediate um, future, this means that Texas did even better than we already thought in this recruiting class and stacked the already deep receiving core to the absolute and utter brim. You say that this year's class was a turning point and I don't, I don't necessarily disagree, but I think you see how early on in this cycle, the talk was of Texas A&M kind of running everything. We run the state and all of that ridiculousness and how Jimbo was going to mop the floor with Tom Herman and in state Jimbo definitely had the first year new car smell bump. But as it stands right now, Texas has the number three class in the 24 seven composite. Now it doesn't hurt that Jordan Whittington got a much deserved fifth star. Didn't hurt in the slightest bit. And the fact that Brew McCoy counts as a 2019 commitment, even though he signed his letter of intent with uh, with USC, but then transferred even before he started classes there. And I think what's going to happen moving forward is anytime something like this happens, rivals 24 seven, all those sites will count that player as a 2019 commitment because that's really what it was. But what Tom Herman has done in two years is really address some of the biggest questions that people had about his ability to build at Texas, which was, can he get enough talent in the room to continue to, to build on the momentum from year one? And the answer to that is yes, he had top three recruiting class last year, top three recruiting class this year. Now there is some credence to the conversation of he had to go a lot of out of state, but with that same caveat, there was not a Brew McCoy in the state of Texas. Jordan Whittington's probably the closest you can get to what Brew McCoy can bring to the table. And it's, it's just tough. There's not a DeGabriel Floyd in the state of Texas in the 2019 class. And where he, where he missed into in state was probably on the offensive and defensive line. And that is yet to be seen. Obviously running backs, he missed on the five-star guys, but whatever we'll talk. That's a whole nother conversation. But the fact is that, that Texas with, you know, national signing day, the original on looming in a few weeks has itself in a position where it doesn't really need to make any moves in the next week to, to cinch up back to back kind of program making classes. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple points there quick. I know we're going to talk a little more national signing when we get to it, but you know, you saw one of the, one of the 
most fun things about that day during the Charlie era is his kind of technique was to use the momentum of the day for the late surge um, to kind of push up in the rankings, which is which is fun in its own right. Um, obviously, you know, going between the two signing days is a new tactic, um, you know, especially when the commit is already uh, at another school. But, you know, I, I appreciate it nonetheless. So it's a different strategy from Herman. But, I mean, beating beating Jimbo in his, you know, Jimbo's going to be his best year, like you said, the new car smell, beating A&M in what is, you know, their year to lose, basically – um, you know, with a with a unbelievably favorable schedule um, outside of the two tough games they played this season um, and, uh, you know, the hottest new coach in the country this year, which Texas, you know, benefited from the year before. Um, and, and still with this now, UT is, you know, looking down uh, their nose and in, in, in the rankings at uh, at, at the Aggies. So, I mean, it's, it's a good sign because it is important. It's not because they're an historic rival or anything, but it's important because we're the university of Texas and we need to be the best in the state of Texas. I do think, and we'll probably talk more to Cody about this and, and Westcott and we have in the past, but I do think the Texas is a national brand. So Texas can go recruit no matter where the kid is, uh, where the most talent is for the position of need is a good development. I, I think it's great. I think Charlie started a little bit with his Florida connections. Uh, obviously Herman originally from California understands there's a lot of talent in that state. We'll continue to pick the best of Texas, but there is some upside to being able to look anywhere in the country and just get the best kids. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The true test of the tech, the ability to recruit in state will be the 2020 class. I think there are key targets that Texas has to land uh, in the 2020 class. You've got uh, running the running back out of Katie, Zach Evans. That's, that is, I think, a must-have for Texas. I think they're really doing uh, a good job. They picked up two of the top 2020 uh, offensive linemen in the state already, which is just Again, doing what they need to. You kind of recruit to replace your sophomores and redshirt freshmen, which is what Texas is doing now. So I think they're in a good position for for 2020 moving forward. Obviously, we can't really move on from 2019 um, because Javon Shepard is still out there and a Shepard flip kind of changes anything. But the fact that Texas is able to grab a commitment from Logan Parr early on, who is again, the top 20 player in the state. They've got Jake majors in the pipeline. Hudson card was their first commit. And I think Herman's strategy of going out and getting his quarterback of the class to kind of build around is an incredible, incredible strategy. Like it's super smart because, okay, this is the nucleus. This is the leader of the class. Now let's put guys around him to really, again, build and flesh out What's going to happen? And Texas literally this week just picked up Jake Majors, who hasn't even updated on 24-7's ranking. But Jake Majors is a a four-star offensive lineman. Like Jake Majors is a big, big pickup for them. And I can't really even – what he's doing in state, it's hard to even put into words how he's shaping the narrative around Texas in, in just two years. Yeah, and I mean, Majors is a four-star now. Once he gets updated as a Texas commander, he'll probably be a seven- or eight-star. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, so that's a BMOC uh, uh, joke, um, or BOMC, excuse me. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I agree, and, and we'll just kind of put a pin in it there, that um, I, I don't, you know, think Hellfire and Brimstone, Tom Herman is forsaking Texas. The, the coaches that I know in Texas high school football don't in any way dislike Tom Herman. They like the guy and, and love what he's doing. So I, I don't think there's a – I don't think there's a – um, perception that because he's looking 
elsewhere that he's forgetting, which is always kind of the fear. But I, I do agree with you that, um, you know, putting his stamp early on the quarterback and on kind of the, the line shows Tom Herman's mentality is, is Austin has quarterback kind of driven vehicles for his for his offense. And, you know, just you saw it in his this year um, kind of mantra of, you know, you celebrate, go hug a big ugly first, you know, put the focus on the offensive line, go out and get the best offensive line coach in the country in Herb Hand. You know, like he's putting emphasis on those positions. Obviously, quarterback is always a position in every offense, but certainly in all of Herman's offense. And then, you know, really emphasizing the uh, the big guys in, in the trenches. So I think um, if he continues to do that every year, we're going to be in a good spot. Yeah, and and one last thing on on just the line recruiting, look for Chad Lindbergh to go burn orange. If as as long as Stanford doesn't do what Stanford always seems to do to Texas, uh, <laughs> Chad Lindbergh will end up in burn orange, and Texas will have basically three of the four best linemen of the twenty twenty class. And we can all put a pin in the Texas needs more offensive linemen talk. But that's not all we're going to talk about today. Texas basketball is is something. Um, I don't I don't know how to sum up my feelings on Texas basketball, Kyle, other than it's ugly and I don't know what to make of it. Like what like what is going on? So Texas uh lost to TCU by four um in one of the weirdest, saddest second halves I've seen in my entire life. Came out flat against Georgia and kind of just it honestly looked like the reverse of the sugar bowl where the final score even doesn't really make it look as lopsided as it felt throughout. So I think the question we have to ask now is like, is Shaka the guy for this program? I'm not the guy to like get rid of a coach or dump on a coach, but like it's getting bad and, and it's hard to build a narrative around. Okay. So early in the season, it was this team plays great defense. Can't score. Now it's this team can score. Can't play any defense. So what, like, what is this team and, and what does Shaka do to get the, the ship right? I mean, first of all, I think it's you know fair to say in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, Texas was just focused on uh, bigger things and, and didn't really want to be there. Um, hashtag SEC football bias joke. Um, the uh, No, I mean, they gave up almost 100 points. They gave up 98 points to a Georgia team that's good. They're not phenomenal that's a lot of points um you know against tcu they did hold a high scoring offense low they play some defense but they couldn't play offense so it's almost like jekyll and hyde you don't know what texas you're gonna get if texas got to play ou at home every game we'd probably be you know a top 10 team because shaka don't lose that's his one you know thing that he can guarantee every year um outside of that i, I don't see the cohesiveness i don't see like a a game plan. I don't see development. I mean, you, you look at a guy like, like Roach and you kind of think we said at the beginning of the year, what a big win it was for, you know, getting him back with shock his biggest recruit of the year was his, you know, biggest first step for this season. That was already, you know, a, a win. Roach has regressed this year. Um, he, he isn't playing the level of defense that he was last year and his offensive game is, you know, a little bit streaky and, and hasn't really taken a next step that you would hope for a guy who, you know, has shown some potential to be, um, you know, a draft pick in, in, in a first round draft pick at times. Um, you kind of hate to see that hurting. I think obviously he's shown that big men can come here and will get the requisite minutes and attention and development with, with coach Darren Horn, who's phenomenal with big men. We've said it many times on this program, but outside of that, I don't know that you see any other group of players getting 
better. And again, you saw you see it from from one big man, but then you see Jericho Sims not taking a step up and in, in being again maybe exactly where he was last year, maybe a step back. So it's really really hard to to say. Um, I am not. I think Shaka is a wonderful, fantastic human being. I think outside of the court, and this is the same argument I had for Charlie Strong. If I was building a program and I had to pick it on the caliber of a man, it's harder to find two better human beings than Shaka Smart and and, and Charlie Strong. Um, and, and Steve Patterson, you know, for all of his faults, saw that and hired those two guys in the attempts that they could also do the part of their job that was, you know, winning games. Obviously, Charlie Strong didn't do that and is no longer here. Shaka Smart has been here four seasons. Do you know what his record combined in four seasons is, Gerald? Uh, you put it in the show notes, so I'm not going to choose <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it, did that shock you when you saw that number before I say it? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that that is – well, let me say, it didn't shock me because I've watched – like, it feels like a team that's just above 500. And and that is exactly where it is. At 59 and 56, they are just a shade, a nose hair above 500. And in conference, they uh, are 25 and 35, which is well below 500. 14 and 18 in close games decided by less than three points. Uh, it's just, you know, when you zoom out and look at a macro view of his of his time here, it's tough to say that Shaka is worth being one of the top probably 10 highest paid coaches in the country, even though he's well positioned with his position with Team USA and he does a great job recruiting and he knows all the young recruits and he's, he's kind of shown a, a, a talent. Uh, for doing that, not just in his time at Texas, but but before, um, yeah, it, you eventually like there are the 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 CV items on the resume that you check and you say, okay, he can do this, he can do this, he can do this, and then there's putting it into action. And and I know four years is not an eternity, but with the big wins that he's had, you know, in his tenure that have been great, there have been a litany of losses that they either shouldn't have. Or, you know, missed opportunities, like like I said, 14 and 18 in close games decided by three points or less, that could have changed an entire narrative. Eventually, you want to see those numbers flip. You want to see that turn to something else. How long is that? Like, do you have, what's the magic number? That's the problem is I don't know. And it's hard for me to, like, really, like, there are so many extenuating circumstances with Shaka Smart's tenure at Texas. And one of the biggest extenuating circumstances is the fact that Texas, as much as I, as high of expectations and standards as I have for this basketball program, Texas is not a basketball school. Mm -hmm. It's not the fan supports, not there. The fan expectations are pretty outsized. There are a lot of fans who expect undefeated seasons, which I don't believe has happened <laughs> in the modern era of collegiate basketball. And that's not to say that their expectations for, I don't know, a decent basketball team are unfounded. But, you know, when you've got, again, weird one and done situations of guys you're not necessarily expecting to be one and done or, you know, your your best player, a guy who's expected to be a lottery pick gets diagnosed with leukemia and misses all of a season. Like it's, it's, it's hard to really, it's hard to, to, to put a number on it because again, I can't, I can't bear to watch another bad season of Texas basketball, but it also doesn't feel like the right time to pull the, pull the trigger on the coach. 
Yeah, he has four more years on his contract, right? He's here through 2023. Um, If something doesn't change, there's absolutely no chance. You don't get eight years based on promise, right? I don't know if it's this year. Obviously, the easy cutoff metric is if they don't make the tournament. But to to use the tournament as as a metric for a successful season basically means you're rewarding for being in the top quartile of college basketball um it's not that impressive it's 68 teams now with the expanded play-in out of shy just shy 350 eligible teams make the tournament that's 20 percent, give or take um you know rick barnes got mutually uh, decided they would leave or fired depending um and he made the tournament 16 out of 17 seasons shaka could potentially he's 0-2 currently in the tournament he could potentially miss for the second time in his four years. I think we're at about a 30% projected after the loss to Georgia um, to make it into the tournament. So, I mean, in four years, he could miss the tournament you know, twice as much as Rick Barnes did in 17 years. Again, that's the Rick Barnes, who's the coach of the number one team in the nation for a second week strong. And we do hear your hashtag replies of Texas. We are getting to that. Um, we promise. But, y- you know, that. It's almost like, hey, we had a nice thing and we rocked the boat. You know, Rick Barnes will, would get you, you a number next to your name. It may not be a great number and it may, you know, you may lose it at some point, but you know, you'd be in the top 35 teams every year. And that was okay. Sometimes they were really good. I think the expectations, like you said, got a little outsized, but it's not because of resources. Fans may not be there, but the money certainly is. The facilities are. The in-state talent is. I mean, the resources or the natural kind of ability if a good coach came in and, and got you know fired up about it what they could potentially do here is is astronomical i think the question then becomes though like who's out there like who's the guy that's better than shaka smart that's going to be available that texas can grab this offseason like that's the there's not a tom herman out there at least i don't think that's sitting waiting for for the 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 basketball program in texas i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna say something controversial the i don't know what top tier basketball coach wants to come to texas at this point yeah and i understand that with expectations that you have with the you know general kind of support though i think i think del conti's vision for this in two years with the stadium new stadium i think that could change so maybe that's the cutoff maybe shaka makes the tournament this year gets Another two years, and if it doesn't improve, it kind of coincides with an overall rebranding of Texas basketball. But the one name out there that the message boards and 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 my my Twitter mentions will tell you is Chris Beard, the the Texas Tech head coach, who you know I think is in a better situation right now in Tech because you just you know you're in the middle of the desert, they ain't got nothing better to do than than play some basketball. But uh, he is a even though he didn't. Uh, didn't play basketball here he is a graduate of the university of texas so it is the alma mater so you know you have a draw for a guy who's coached the top 10 team the past couple years um or a top 10 team the past couple years again with a with a much much um harder to recruit uh package that you're selling to recruits versus you know ut versus tech you imagine he could do at least baseline whatever he's doing there um and then coach him up but you know you saw shaka smart overachieve and he was Tom Herman he was that guy and it didn't work out so it's not to say that the next man up is automatically better uh although that is the the natural mentality I, and again this is not a fire shock a smart podcast that's not what I'm here saying I just for the first time after this kind of malaise and again you take that OU win out it's it's like five straight losses basically that saved a really bad lo- losing streak 
for the first time, I'm I'm not you know telling people who are saying fire Shaka that hey you're wrong pipe down I I just I can't say anything. Yeah, I I don't. It's it's impossible to defend and it's impossible for me to be on that bandwagon though. It's just so so difficult for me to really like. I I'm kind of just numb to it all at this point. I don't know how else to describe it. Well, here's what's going to happen. You're very much aware of this. Starting tomorrow, number 11, Kansas comes off, and Shock is obviously going to win that game. Number 20, Iowa State on Saturday. He'll obviously win that game. Back-to-back ranked wins is going to happen, and it's going to make all of this feel enormously stupid because that's how Texas basketball works. Whenever you think they're absolutely done, somehow they rise like a phoenix from the ashes. So just you heard it here first. They're going to win both those games somehow because college basketball is stupid and, and burn orange. I mean, there's something to that because around this time last year, we're all saying, is Shaka the guy? And then they go and just pound Trey Young a couple of times. And it was like, "Eh, maybe Shaka needs another year. So it's all in all possible that it could happen. So Texas women's basketball uh, has hit a little bit of a, a rough patch. So after... Being the class of the Big 12, the Texas women's basketball team um, dropped another game. We It seems like every time we have a podcast, it's like they dropped this weird one. Uh, so they went and hosted the West Virginia. Uh, are they still the Mountaineers on the, when you talk about the women? I think they are. I don't think that's a gendered uh, mascot. So they hosted the West Virginia Mountaineers and dropped a 64 to 58 decision at home, which is tough for a team that had only lost two home games heading in to that game. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those hard to win situations. West Virginia had basically all its two best players uh, scored 27 and 15 points respectively, which hard to beat it when your top two players are scoring 43 points, 43 or 64 points from two people. It's real, real tough to stop that. Uh, so man, it's, it's just, I want this team to be dominant and it seems like they, they just can't string together that like real, real dominant streak in conference play. And I don't know what to, what to make of it. Yeah, again, it's a different problem because the expectations are there for the women's basketball team. I mean, they were expected to be a top 10 team this season. Um, it's it's difficult. They are still 17-4. and four. Let, Let's remember that. They are still a top 15 team. Um, you know, they had a terrible game two games ago against uh, Kansas, and you just saw what, how it should be at Texas, where they absolutely, I say horrible game, they, they never led in that game, and they won by their largest um, margin in Big 12 play. Uh, I believe the score was uh, losing, 62, losing to 62 to 43. Yeah, 19 point win. So, I mean, they, they shot one of nine and had from the three point and had 17 turnovers. It's a, It's by any objective metric a bad game. But they won that game because they were the class, they were the talent. Uh, there's probably going to be games where they play bad and they don't have that big of a gap. Um, I mean, against Texas Tech, for instance, they won by seven, but it was a close game all the way through. They had to gut it out. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the secret is. You know, I, I, I'm I'm not in that locker room. I don't know what the motivation gap is, how they're not, you know, able to get up for, for these these conference games when you know that, you just have to win out, and maybe they're looking ahead towards towards Baylor that's coming up relatively soon, but I can't imagine the coach would allow them to do that. I just, you know, it is it is one of those things you hope they get out of this. They can put a stretch together um, down the run, or excuse me, a, a, a 
uh, run together down the stretch here and, and kind of get some momentum heading into the Big 12 tournament and, and overall NCAA tournament. Because I think this is a team that's talented enough to give some people nightmares. I mean, they, they, they can scare some people on their best day. Um, I don't know if they – it might – be tough for this team to win a national championship, but they, they can give any team in the country, you know, as much as they want to handle They're They're not a draw, especially if they lose a couple games and get a higher seed. They're not a draw that anyone is looking forward to getting. Yeah. And, and don't hear my disappointment as the fact that I, I think, I don't I just think this women's basketball team can be one of the great teams in, in Texas women's basketball history. They've got the pieces, they've got the talent, they've got the coaching. It just seems like they have one of these weird, it feels like, honestly, the Kevin Durant year at Texas, where uh. they come out and they blast teams and they play really, really well. And then every 10 days, they have a stinker. Uh, mm. And that's that's what it feels like to me, where it's like, they just have these weird, inexplicable games where it's like, you know, you have two of your starters that go over and you have your forward go six of 15. Like, it's just one of those, like, I don't know what happened. Like, it's just, it's hard to explain. It's weird. West Virginia is not a bad team. They're actually one of the better teams in the conference. I mean, it's kind of yeah. Texas and West Virginia lobbying for that two, three spot in the conference. So it's really like, it's not like West Virginia is a, a slouch, but it just feels like with the level of talent on this team that they should be able to just dominate everybody. We said it. They should be able to just dominate everybody that's not Baylor. Well, again, a week from now, they play Baylor. Um, I believe that first game is in Austin. And then, you know, in within 20 days after that, basically twice in, in three weeks, they play Baylor, the number one team in the country. If they're able to get it together, beat Baylor one of those two times, heck, why not twice? Again, I think I think it changes that narrative because they'll they'll lose, they'll drop to number you know thirteen, fourteen, maybe fifteen, um, which is fine. They're they're in a they're in striking distance again. They have about eight games left, nine games left. It's just enough time to put together a really healthy run um, and scare scare some teams. And I think you know getting to play the number one team uh, who is admittedly owned you know Texas in that matchup in recent years, um, but you know getting a chance to uh, to take all that vengeance out. And, and get some redemption there. Hopefully the, hopefully this team is up for it. We'll talk next week because they'll be playing Baylor uh, at the time we record this next week, probably just wrapping up. So uh, we'll, we'll have some fresh takes for you next week on the women's basketball team. We're going to send Kim Mulkey and her perm away with an L. That's what I'm going to go ahead and call it. <laughs> so we got a little bit of news for you. Texas announced the date for its annual orange and white spring game. April 13th, under the lights at Darrell K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium, your first chance to get to see what the new look defense looks like and uh, what these wide receivers and early enrollees are going to bring to the table, which I always love watching the orange and white game because uh, it's a quick way for Texas to count this as an 11-win season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 Aggies have kind of national championships for less. No, it's... Uh, I, I, I love that it's wild, right? Like it's, we just had the sugar bowl and I looked at this and I was like, man, that's, that's not that far away. It's a long, long off season. It's a long time before we get real football. And then after that, it's a long, long time again until kickoff, but right in the middle of it, there's something to get up for, uh, something to get to the stadium for. If you can get there, see the guys, all this excitement over this recruiting class, there's, you know, nine early enrollees, I guess 10 now, if you count McCoy. Um, so I, you know, I, there's reason to be excited. There's a reason to look for 
all of this, I, I, I'm excited. I think the spring game is one of the, you know, one of the best parts of, of the spring every year, uh, especially now that Texas, as, as we've noted, is, is back. So of the early enrollees, Kyle, who are you the most excited to, to see uh, coming out and, and playing their first game under the lights at, uh, at DKR? You know, we kind of talked about this before, but I'm excited to see uh, to see Roshan uh, get in there and just kind of run a little QB. Um, I, I do think that uh, I do think obviously Whittington and we, we've talked about some before that are just going to be electric and going to be fun to see them in burn orange. But from a tactical perspective, you know, that's that's basically he's going to be leading the charge for, you know, who is QB two, and I do think that um, obviously Casey Thompson has the has the huge upper upper leg being here, and I think he's a fantastic quarterback. But you know that's they all are also not just backing up, but who will be presumably taking the reins from Sam uh, when when he you know goes to uh, for the first round or first overall pick in the in the draft, whether that's next year or the year after. But um, you know, so I, I'm excited to see the quarterback as we stressed Tom Herman wants a quarterback to be the focal point of his offenses. And so both of those guys have a chance to be really, really good. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to see you know, the combination of DeGabriel Floyd and Caleb Johnson at linebacker. Mm-hmm. I think the linebacker mm-hmm. position is like my, my position to watch uh, over the next eight months as we look at what Texas football will be for 2019, which is weird to say, uh, but like what that linebacker spot looks like. Cause I think DeGabriel Floyd's a guy that you have to get on the field early and often. And I think Caleb Johnson is a ready-made starter. I mean, he was the number, what, number 40 Juco player overall. Just an incredible kind of talent at outside linebacker. And that's a spot where it's kind of wide open for for Texas to find a contributor or two uh, at one of the most important positions in that in that defensive scheme. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's... Uh defense in general watching who steps up um to take the place of all those seniors is going to be great linebacking and defensive line will both be uh huge positions i'm sure everyone will be actively watching uh just as as closely as coach orlando yeah uh so texas baseball has its annual alumni game on february 2nd so this coming saturday that will kick off the uh kind of the the 2019 baseball season more or less getting things started for Texas there. And they'll also have the first shot of the Augie Garrido bust outside of Dishfalk Field. Kyle, you are the baseball guy of this podcast. Now I, I watch the baseball team, but I do not, uh, I do not have your level of uh, knowledge and enthusiasm for Texas baseball. Um, so what, what should we expect from this alumni game as a kickoff? Like what, who are you, who are you watching for in the alumni game, Kyle? Well, it's exciting to see some of these guys back. You know, I think it's a fun thing that they do that. I don't actually know if if all if other schools do this. I'm sure they do, but it's just fun to watch. Um, Texas obviously puts a lot of guys in the MLB, but you know, you're going to have both Clemens's back. Um, the Rocket is actually pitching the uh, the first inning. Uh, Roger Clemens. So if you missed in your if you're a young listener and you missed Roger Clemens in your lifetime pitching, you'll get to see him throwing out a couple pitches at least with his sons playing. Put him in the, in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Don't get me started there. Uh, by the way, congrats to Mariana Rivera. Deserved uh, unanimous. But uh, Casey Clemens uh, playing first and Cody Clemens playing second base. So you got a lot of Clemenses 
Um, and, and that's uh, one, two, three Clemenses and also one Trace because Trace Barrera, uh, one of my favorite players um, from the past couple of years, will, will be back playing catcher. I was a catcher in my day, um, so I always love love the uh, love the catchers. But, I mean, just some of the good pitchers who, you know, have, have uh, moved on. Parker French, Nolan Kingham, um, you know, there's, there's going to be some good arms throwing. Parker J. Robinson will be back. Sugar. So it's going to be, I think it'll be fun. There's a lot of recent alums from what was a really fun team last year who will be back right away. And it's just kind of like a, a final parting gift to see them, uh, to see them one more time in burn orange. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Clemens is a pretty big one. Yeah. I mean, I, again, the, the alumni game, it's a fun thing to watch. It'll be on LHN. I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's always good to see. I love the old guy. When the old guys get out there and they're like super serious, they're trying to relive their glory days. Oh, yeah. uh, I always find it really, uh, really fun because as an old guy who never really had glory days, I, I always wanted to uh, have a chance to relive what I, I never had. Uh, quickly, some tennis updates. The number six women tennis team uh, swept Baylor, absolutely just dominated them. The number eight men's tennis team uh, punched its ticket to the ITA Indoor Championship with a 4-0 sweep over the U in the championship match of the Austin ITA kickoff weekend. So both tennis teams are in a strong position uh, to kind of keep the momentum going that they carried over from their 2018 fall season into their 2019 spring season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a fun list of, uh, of consonants of a lot of these players uh, from around the world who make up both the men's and women's teams. Um, but they, uh, they have some good numbers next to their names. There's some really good rankings individually as well as our doubles team. So um, it'll be fun to see if they, either one of them can, can take it all the way. Number six and number eight, again, both in the uh, striking distance of winning, winning uh, some indoor national champions. I intentionally did not say any names through that reader because I did not want to do that to myself or our listeners or anybody who knows and is intimately familiar with Texas tennis. But now is the time of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? You know, uh, this is I'm Joe Ruiz banging the drum on on something that I think is a good omen is what I'm titling this a good omen. Uh, our boy Chuck Charles Omenahu, um that's where I got omen uh, O M E N Omenahu, you get it. Um, he had himself a week. Uh, the uh, the Senior Bowl um, just kind of wrapped up, and and not only did he play well in in the game, he uh, stripped uh, a name we may remember uh, Garrett Stidham. Of, of Baylor and, and then Auburn fame, um, a, a former, uh, a former Texas, uh, hunter. He did, I think one of the many who hurdled Dylan Haynes, but he was, it was redeemed. Redemption was struck because Charles Amen who stripped him, uh, in the, uh, in the, the game itself. And, and just in the week of practice, everyone Twitter from absolute non longhorn media was a buzz with the play of, of, of Chuck. Um, from NFL scouts to NFL coaches to other players even were talking about how good he looked. Some of the videos of him just molly whopping offensive linemen. Poor guy's trying to get drafted to as a family to feed Charles. Be, be considerate. Um, but, you know, Drew Locke, who, uh, you know, if you remember, um, was a, he's a hot quarterback. 
That's right. That's right. A hot quarterback prospect, but one who also literally launched the Texas Renaissance by uh, allowing us to dominate him in a bowl game. Um, but some are saying, you know, is a top two or three quarterback on on the board in this draft. Um, he was asked who the who the best player and who impressed him the most this week, and he said, "I mean, the Texas defensive end has hit me multiple times in my life. Uh, he's a pretty good ball player." So, I mean, when when you know you're asked who who you're watching, and it's the guy who's been beating you up a couple times in your career, and he's got to do it more during the game. That's a good sign. Good sign for Mister Amenahu. Um, you know, just to note, we we talked. At the end of last year, um, we had a draft analyst, Kyle Krabs, on um, and, and talked about Chuck and his prospects, whether he should go, whether he should come back. And, it, and almost from a national perspective, he kind of didn't register. He, he said, you know, I, I, I'm sure he should come back. I don't, you know, don't don't really hear a lot of buzz about him. And, and that's kind of, I think, what, what Chuck heard when he, he asked last year, when he put it in and got his, his draft grade. And I think it speaks to the value, um, and it may be the same story we're having at this point next year for Colin Johnson. It speaks to the value of a guy who is really good and could probably go make money. And we always advocate, do what's best for you, for your career, for everything. But it also speaks to coming back, finishing your career, being a leader your senior year, sticking through, finishing, enjoying every bit of burn orange you get as a student, and then at the same time enhancing your draft stock. Because Omenahu has gone from a guy who's you know, going to play on Sundays, probably going to get get drafted, probably might even get drafted in a decent spot if we be in the Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year, who now looks like a guy who, you know, GMs are salivating over and his stock is just can continue to bump because his intangibles uh, and his his measurables actually um, were, were off the charts. So, you know, just just wanted to bang the drum and say uh, how excited I am for Chuck and his and his NFL career coming up and just how uh, how happy I am that, that he's showed out in, in a big way. Charles Amenahu's meteoric rise is Tom Herman's best proof case for, hey, come back for another year, we'll get you paid. Like, that is, this is the best case scenario for everybody involved. Because I want Charles Amenahu to be successful. I am a huge fan of his game. I think he plays really, really well. High motor guy. And just just plays with passion. Isn't a really run-your-mouth guy. He was probably uh, best known before this season as the guy who freaked out when Texas lost to Kansas. Uh, And rightfully so. He's passionate. And he hated the fact that they lost to freaking Kansas. Uh, He was all of us in that moment. So, and for the Texas program, like, hey, Charles who could have left last year. And you see a lot of these guys that did leave last year, they're doing okay. Charles who could potentially be a first two-round pick because of his added progression of a senior year. So that is the best case scenario for Tom Herman as he talks to redshirt sophomores and juniors preparing for the draft the, the draft decision coming up. So that's, uh, again, it works out well for everybody. So I'm banging the drum on uh, a man that, that we have taken some pot shots at. Um, Manny Acho has become kind of a social media ESPN darling this season. He cut his teeth on the Longhorn Network. He made himself known for his uh, his sense of style and fashion. This year, he started doing some post-game videos, got into a heated, heated, heated Twitter beef with Chris Boyd and some Texas fans, um, put out some post-game videos that were sometimes good, sometimes good ish but today Manny Acho put out a season recap rap which I don't have a ton of words for um but 
the fact of the matter is this guy was pre-med at the University of Texas and he went and also played uh, NFL football for a few years. So I'm in no position to tell him anything about his life. But just go just go watch it for yourself and form your own opinions because again I have no room to stand on. Manny Acho has been successful at many things that I've only dreamed of doing in my life. Um, but rapping with a pocket square is something that I feel like only Fonsworth Bentley should be able to. Do. <laughs> that's that's a fantastic way to land that. Uh, I I I can honestly say I've seen uh, both of the the Achos. Um, in in no 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 shade here but with uh with you know legally of course after they were 21 a drink or two in their system and i think both of them imagine that they have bars i can't say that either of them absolutely do but one thing that i've been thinking for a long time for uh acho is that we should george clooney him we should start referring to him as yvonne orgy's boyfriend um because you know love love women but uh she obviously if you don't know he he's dating um Issa Rae's co-star on, on Insecure, who's a fantastic character and a, and a rising star actress. So good for him on that. Um, but also, I'm just going to now refer to him as Yvonne Orji's rapping boyfriend. You got to be careful when people don't know who you're referring to there, Kyle. Um, but <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah, so Mandy Acho, do you, fam. Do you. And don't let anybody throw shade at you for doing you because you're clearly doing it very, very successfully. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can always shoot us an email at LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. And obviously we will get to some of the replies of Texas we've been receiving it's just kind of been crazy news for the last several weeks. So hopefully after National Signing Day, things will slow down. I've got a couple of interviews lined up to get some student perspectives on what is happening at the University of Texas. Because I think that's something that, again, Kyle and I are a decade removed from that. So it's interesting to see uh, what's been happening on the 40 acres this season as the Texas football team has had a resurgence. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook em. Welcome, Bruce.